well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad that you joined us on the program today. Hey, you know what? We have some good news to talk about on the program. I'm, I, I'm, I'm genuinely excited about this. A uh, proposed rule by the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. We've talked about this proposed rule on the past here. Uh, it has now been finalized less than a week before uh, President Trump leaves office. That's the uh, headline from the Hill. Regulator finalizes rule forcing banks to serve oil and gun companies. Actually, I mean, it, it, it forces major financial institutions to not discriminate against disfavored industries, no matter what they are. Uh, this was a move that uh, had been welcomed by the firearms industry, uh, as well as a lot of gun owners. There were a lot of objections to this uh, by these big financial institutions, right? And obviously, uh, Democrats were opposed to this as well. Maxine Waters actually sent a letter to the acting comptroller of the currency, Brian Brooks, about a month or so ago, along with about uh, 21 of her colleagues uh, on the uh, House Financial Services Committee. This is what she had to say. She said, instead of implementing the OCC's statutory mission to ensure all consumers have fair access to financial services, this rulemaking appears designed to force banks to ignore material risks posed by fossil energy companies, gun manufacturers, and other large corporations while providing them access to any banking products or services they want. A consumer cannot have fair access to financial services if they're being discriminated against by banks, they went on to say. However, Rather than protect individuals from discrimination by banks to ensure that they have fair access to financial services, the NPRM would force banks to serve major fossil energy companies despite the risk they may pose to the bank and the financial system. The well-documented pattern of systemic discrimination and depriving communities of color of equal access to credit bears no resemblance to financial institutions taking actions to reduce their exposure to climate risk, as well as other financial stability risks identified by prudential regulators, and we find it offensive to make any comparison in that manner. Well, I don't necessarily think that that was the comparison that was being made here. I mean, I, I you know, we've talked with Larry Keene, Senior Vice President, General Counsel of the National Shooting Sports Foundation on this program on a number of occasions. Uh, Dennis Santiago uh, joined us on the program to talk about this rule as well. And neither of them said, hey, you know what, this is exactly like banks discriminated against people of color. No. What they said was, you go back to Operation Choke Point, which happened during the Obama administration. This was an effort to get banks to stop doing business with disfavored industries, whether it is the gun industry, payday lenders, the oil and gas industry. And the FDIC sent out a guidance letter basically warning banks, hey, we can't tell you not to do business with companies inside of these industries. But we can tell you that if you do choose to continue to do business with companies inside of these industries, you're opening yourself up to the risks of audits. Right. We can come in and we can look at your books. So, hey, you know, if you want to just avoid us coming to see you, well, then avoid doing business with these firms. That was shut down when it came to light. It took a while uh, for Operation Choke Point to actually be shut down. But then these banks decide, you know what, we're, we're going to be uh, woke corporate citizens all on our own and we're going to stop doing business with uh, uh, gun industry uh, businesses or with uh, the, the NRA uh, and other uh, Second Amendment organizations. And so this new rule uh, proposed by the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, which now again has been finalized, would put a stop to that. 
Back in November, the National Shooting Sports Foundation wrote about what this bill, excuse me, what this rule uh, would actually do. And I want to describe it. This is how Larry Keene put it. He said the proposed rule evens the playing field. It stops corporate banks from picking winners and losers based on executives' personal politics. The rule would put into force protections that were passed by Congress and signed into law with the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act of 2010. Those laws, Keen writes, made the currency comptroller responsible for, quote, fair access to financial services and fair treatment of customers by the institutions and other persons subject to its jurisdiction. Okay, it's pretty clear, right? Larry Keene says this rule that's just been finalized will apply to the largest banks in the country that may exert significant pricing power or influence over sectors of the national economy. It would require those banks to make their products and services available to all customers in the community it serves based on consideration of quantitative, impartial, risk-based standards established by the banks. So, you know, uh, Maxie Waters says, oh, this is crazy. This is going to let exposed banks all this financial risk. No. If a bank looks at a company's financial bottom line and says, yeah, you know what? You're not capitalized enough. Uh, you're really overextended. We just don't think that it is a, a wise financial decision to lend you money. That's one thing. And that's perfectly fine under these proposed rules. Or actually, under these rules that have now been finalized. I've been talking about these proposed rules for so long. i got to get used to the fact that this is now a rule. And I'm excited about it. What the banks cannot do is say, hey, you know, we looked at your uh, financial services records. And I mean, your capitalization looks fine. Um, you've got, you know, solid revenue streams coming in. You're, you're not overextended. But we don't do business with the firearms industry. That's what they can't do now. If it's a bad business that's in danger of going bankrupt, they don't have their financial house in order, banks can still look at that and say, yeah, we're going to take a pass. But they can't do it because of the industry that the business is in. As Larry Keene said, the business is over leveraged, doesn't have the necessary assets, credit or a business model that would demonstrate their ability to pay debts. It does not get a free pass. Brian Brooks, the acting comptroller of the currency, wrote, quote, banks retain the right to choose what businesses they undertake. But if a bank provides a service, it cannot deny that service to a customer except on the basis of an objective analysis of the riskiness of the client, the financial riskiness of the client. So this is a, a huge, huge move on the part of the uh, Office of the Comptroller of the Currency finalizing this rule. Uh, this does not mean, by the way, that the uh, Biden administration cannot turn around and try to undo this rule when Biden takes office next week. But it is not going to be the easiest thing in the world uh, to simply go and try to pull this rule back. Um, I think they'll try. I do. But I think that this is a significant step forward, and it's the right thing to do. We are in the midst of watching a big tech crackdown on disfavored speech, right? We've seen financial institutions say, hey, yeah, you know, we're not going to do business with Donald Trump anymore. Now, what happens when those same, well, we don't even have to ask what if, because it's happened. A lot of these same institutions have already said in the past, yeah, we're not going to do business with Bob's gun shop. Yeah, we're not going to, uh, you know, uh, give out a loan to a, a company that is is growing and wants to expand its manufacturing capacity because 
they make bullets, right? Those types of efforts come to a stop, at least temporarily, as a result of this rule. So congratulations to uh, everybody who commented. You know, we uh, we encourage folks to submit their public comments. Obviously, the Comptroller of the Currency got thousands of comments when most of the time their proposed rules maybe get a few dozen. So you really turned out. You made a difference. Congratulations. This is a victory. And I'm so glad to be able to talk about a victory. By the way, as long as we're talking about uh, moves in the waning days of the uh, Trump administration, there was another interesting move that occurred on Wednesday when the National Rifle Association and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service signed a memorandum of understanding that the uh, uh, organization and the agency will work together to increase the number of hunters and anglers uh, across the United States. What's interesting about this is this is a 10-year agreement that was signed by the National Rifle Association and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So the NRA has said, look, we're going to use our programs. We're going to use American Hunter Magazine uh, to highlight what the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is doing. Uh, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service going to be working with the NRA uh, to you know, provide that information to uh, help develop uh, uh, access to land for uh, uh, folks to you know, get out and take to the field. But this is a 10-year agreement. Signed six days before uh, Joe Biden takes office. Um, in a memorandum of understanding, based on the terms of this memo, it can only be rescinded upon mutual agreement by both parties. So if the uh, incoming Secretary of the Interior, not confirmed, but uh, Joe Biden's nominee, Deb Holland, who's a, a congresswoman from New Mexico and a vociferous gun control advocate, I might add. Uh, if Deb Holland does get confirmed and all of a sudden says, I, 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 I don't want to work with the NRA. We're going we're gonna to tear up this memo. You really can't unless the NRA says, well, we don't want to work with you either. What the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service could do is say, well, yeah, we've got this memorandum of understanding, but we're just basically going to ignore it. it it'll be there, but we're not going to provide any funding. We're not going to provide any human resources. We're not going to do anything of that nature uh, to actually move forward with this agreement. They could do that. Again, I think it would be you know, uh, contradictory to their mission of trying to expand the number of hunters and anglers in this country, but, but they could do that. Uh, but it's going to be a, a, a much more difficult measure to undo the memorandum of understanding itself. So a couple of good news items to report for you uh, from Washington, D.C. It is, it is actually really nice to be able to say that. Did I already say that? I think I did, but it's true. All right, so now that we've got the uh, the good news out of the way, <clears throat> we got some bad news to talk about, unfortunately, uh, in our recidivist report, our armed citizen story as well. Well, our good deed of the day is actually not bad news. It's, it's good news. Uh, let's get to our recidivist report. I wrote about this actually yesterday at BarryAndArms.com, and it's not really a true recidivist report because it is dealing with somebody who has not had any run-ins with the law but I think it's still worth talking about. Uh, charges on hold for an anti-Trump protester arrested with a gun in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Prosecutors, of course, uh, going after anybody and everybody involved in the attack on the U.S. Capitol last week. But a 25-year-old from Michigan who was caught about a mile and a half from the Capitol uh, on Wednesday of last week with a gun, extended magazine, and, quote, unregistered ammunition in the District of Columbia uh, charges apparently on hold now. Yeah, prosecutors have just 
They haven't really said why, but they're just sort of on hold. Uh, according to the uh, uh, individual's father who was arrested, uh, they had traveled to Washington, D.C. from Michigan with a group of friends, not realizing that one of them had brought a gun along for the ride. And it was in the trunk of the vehicle. The uh, car was pulled over. Uh, and um, the uh, 25-year-old from Michigan took responsibility. But that is mine, my, my guns, even though apparently they weren't. Now, that shouldn't matter to prosecutors, quite honestly. Uh, and... This is, it appears to me like this is a double standard. I, look, by the way, I think Washington, D.C.'s gun laws are ridiculous. The idea that there is no recognition of any carry license from any other jurisdiction outside of the uh, Washington, D.C., you know, boundary, that, that's absurd. Uh, the idea that you can only possess ammunition in the same caliber as a gun that is registered to you in Washington, D.C. is also absurd. The uh, ban on magazines that can hold more than 10 rounds of ammunition is not only absurd, like these other provisions, I believe they're unconstitutional, but they are the laws of the district, and they're usually enforced inside of the district. So why is it that this individual arrested in Michigan is apparently going to skate on these charges, which, by the way, also happened to dozens of those who were arrested for rioting back in June on the nation's capital? Prosecutors decide, well, we're not really going to charge these folks. So justice is supposed to be blind. But in Washington, D.C., she seems to be lifting up her blindfold and peeking around to see who is actually going to uh, feel the effects of the enforcement of the laws that are on the books. Now, our armed citizen story today, also pretty infuriating. Got to tell you, Lyft driver fired after using her gun in self-defense. Cynthia Norman was a Lyft driver in Cleveland, Ohio. And last Sunday morning, about 1 a.m., she got a fare. Two guys picked him up at an apartment complex. They wanted to go to like a sports bar, sports complex. She drives there, and it's closed. And that's when they attack her. There's a guy in the back seat who starts trying to strangle her. Guy in the passenger seat starts punching her in the face. That's when Cynthia reached into the center console of the car that she was driving, pulled out her legally owned, legally carried gun, and fired a shot. Both these guys ended up taking off. Cynthia's okay, but she drove to a police department, reported what happened immediately, and Lyft fired her because Cynthia Norman violated the company's policy that says if you're driving for Lyft, you cannot be armed. Doesn't matter if it's your car. Doesn't matter if, you know, you're driving around doing your own thing and then you decide, I'm going to make a couple of bucks. So you turn on the Lyft app and then you pick up a fare a couple minutes later and then you're all right, I'm done. No. If you are driving for Lyft, their policy, and Uber's policy too, by the way, is that you must be unarmed. So Lyft stands by their decision, by the way, to fire Cynthia Norman, to not let her use the, uh, the, the app to make some money now. You know, and by the way, fired may not be the, the, the proper legal term to use, given that you know, if you uh, drive for Uber or Lyft, you're a contractor, you're not actually an employee. Uh, but for the purposes of the headline, you know, got to try to condense things. Can't say, you know, into their contract. Anyway, the point is that these companies are forcing people to choose between their livelihoods and their lives. In Dallas, Texas, on Friday, just a couple of days before Cynthia Norman was forced and able to defend herself with her legally owned firearm, there was an Uber driver who was murdered by a fare that he had picked up. 
outside of an Amazon warehouse. So this 33-year-old driver picks up a 21-year-old man, takes him where he wants to go. Then the 21-year-old gives him a scarf and says, put this over your face. He does, and the guy starts trying to stab him. So he fights back. Eventually, his assailant pushes him out of the car after stabbing him multiple times, runs over him repeatedly, and he succumbed to his injuries. Now, he wasn't fired from Uber or Lyft, right? If he were alive, he'd still be a driver in good standing. But he's not. I don't know this individual's circumstances. I don't know if they would have chosen to protect themselves if they could. What I do know is that they were defenseless and now they're dead. And the policies of these ride-sharing companies that force these drivers to make this decision, should I lose my job or lose my life? Look, I know what my answer is going to be. But these policies should not be on the books in the first place. They are unconscionable. And I'm not an attorney, but I hope Cynthia Norman sues the crap out of Lyft over their decision. All right. uh, And finally today, good deed of the day. Back to some good news from uh, Northwest Pennsylvania, where police officers uh, in the right place at the right time and willing and able to do the right thing saved a woman who had jumped into the Susquehanna River at uh, Lewisburg, PA. Officers said a witness called 911 to report a single vehicle accident at the west end of this bridge spanning the Susquehanna. They stated that a female driver allegedly exited the vehicle and then jumped off of the bridge into the river. So officers arrived. They said they could see the woman floating on her back. They also said they could hear her as she moaned in the 34-degree water. They said as the woman floated in the river, Corporal Travis Burroughs entered the water, secured by a rescue rope to pull the woman to shore. And according to the report, a private citizen who was there on scene helped with Union County Sheriff Ernie Ritter and Chief Deputy Scott Hahn. Corporal Burroughs, along with that private citizen, and the woman who jumped into the bridge, all transported to a local hospital for evaluation. Uh, It looks like she is going to be okay. Thanks again to the quick thinking and actions of those law enforcement officers and that private citizen. Uh, I mean, it is amazing. And I will remind you again, if you are feeling depressed, if you are feeling, if you're struggling, if you need somebody to talk to, you're not alone. We want you here. We need you here. And the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Again, 1-800-273-8255. So in the right place, at the right time, we're able to do the right thing. We thank all of those individuals there in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, for helping to save the life of that woman. Now, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I do want to thank you for being a part of the program as well. Uh, tomorrow, I have no idea what the news will be, but I know that we'll be bringing it to you here on Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. And don't forget uh, to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day for the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Until we talk again, be well. Be safe. Actually, you know, before I even do that, before I do the sign off, I got to remind you. If you haven't subscribed to Town Hall Media on YouTube, please do so. Or if you uh, watch the show on Rumble, 
You can subscribe there as well. Just look for Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I think we just passed 1,000 subscribers, so I'd like to see those numbers keep going up. But thank you to everyone who is subscribing. Uh, also, if you just want the podcast, Amazon Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, townhall.com's podcast page as well. We really do appreciate all of your support. All right, now we'll get to the sign-off. We'll be back tomorrow. But until then, be well, be safe, and be free. 